It is my distinct pleasure to be here for the inaugural episode of the Danny Ruff Classic Podcast. Um, episode one, joined by the commish, a legend, Mike Morak. How you doing? I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you for putting all, the, all your hard work into this. My man. You're the man, brother. I, I appreciate you coming out. Episode number one, this is an exciting time. We've had this in the works for a while. I'm glad we get this together. Yeah, I mean, podcast is a term I think people throw around all the time, but it's a lot of hard work to it. There's a lot of thought behind. So, you know, mm-hmm. I know you and the you and the team have been working really hard just to get it off the ground. So, episode one, man, excited to see where this goes. That's right. So, Mike, you and I first met uh, a few years ago. I remember it was a three-person call, you, me, and a shout-out, Brian Mermelstein. Um, since then, I have known you as someone who uh, puts a lot into giving back and doing a lot for others. I'm curious for you where that comes from. <laughs> I'd have to say, like, genetically, my father has ingrained in me as a kid to be a part of a lot of things. Like, he was very involved in our local church, um, creating different events, spaghetti dinners, pancake breakfast, helping out before and after masses. Like, I can still remember hating to carry the chairs and the tables. And, you know, we were always really involved in a lot of community activities. Um, and it always drove me crazy that... You know, I never thought he got the 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 due that it, that the just due that I thought that he deserved from a lot of his peers and stuff. So, you know, fast forward many years later, you know, I feel like I've got a lot of that instilled in me of like just helping and and trying to, um, you know, find good, unifying friends, doing things as a collective, and you know, raising my hand when you know sometimes I probably shouldn't. But <laughs> you know, I think it's also a lot of stuff that's just ingrained for me from you know how I was raised by my mom and dad. Yeah. Um, so a lot of your work, and we're going to get into the rump a little bit, but a lot of your work outside of the tournament each year revolves around event planning and activations, particularly in basketball. I'm curious when for you that sort of became your thing. Was it sort of a moment where you're like, maybe your first one, you're like, shit, this is what I want to be in? I mean, it's a funny story because a lot of it comes to some of my best friends to this day. I mean, I can remember all of us being on Germantown Avenue playing basketball at Cedric Playground and the And One mixtape came out. Mm-hmm. Um, we all ran to Sharif Bray's house. I, I can't remember, maybe even 20 of us upstairs, you know, and watched that first mixtape. And that kind of changed my life, really. Like, the, that style of basketball, seeing that, Allen Iverson being in Philadelphia, there was just an electric energy mm-hmm. to that style of basketball. So, you know, I went home. My dad had the internet, which sounds weird to this <laughs> day. Um, and I sent an email to somebody day one. They sent me volume one. So, like, I had my own copy of volume one. Um, so that was my NBA. That was my source of like, man, I'd love to do that. I'd love to work for that company. So, you know, fast forward my senior year in college, I was able to get an internship at N one. Um, so I spent the second semester, my whole second semester into the, the, the summer post college just at N one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really refused to leave until they were sold and moved to LA. But you know, all my guys, Sharif, Sharif, uh, Brandon Huff, like everybody that was fully involved in the run now, like we used to come to Anwan almost every day and play. And when Danny passed away, I was on college, I was on uh, campus at school um, when I got the phone call and I was working at Anwan at the time and Anwan was very pivotal in supporting when we started the Rump Classic of giving us the jerseys. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't know so that. they were the first really sponsor that we had and covered all the costs. So our first year we did the Rump Classic. It didn't cost us anything because it, it was, you know, the gym was free, yeah. um, you know, outside of ref fees and that type of stuff. But, you know, and one was the one that really helped us kick this off. That's awesome. Uh, sort of on the note of N one after the period of N one, the next sort of major street tour was the ball up league, which you were involved in. There was another iteration in there called uh, a company called street ball entertainment ball for real. Um, so the summer after and one was uh, purchased company separated, 
we had 18 of the players, so I became the uh, uh, the director of player uh, relations. So, like, I was in charge of all the guys that I always looked up to. And we did a 30-city NBA arena tour. Wow. Um, and one that summer, they grabbed the professor and some of those other guys and did a tour. I think they did, like, five stops that summer. But, you know, we had a bunch of – we had a team that was really – um, inspired by summer basketball, we were trying to take it back to a little bit of the core roots. Yeah. Um, and it had some really big ambitions of it. So, like, we did a, this huge NBA arena tour. You know, Aaron Owens, who's still a, a Philadelphia legend, who also helped inspire me just to follow that dream of – We got to get him know, on this podcast. Yeah, it, no, no he'll, <laughs> he'll be in the gym sh- shortly. But, you know, he um, – you know, those guys just help see what else – is involved in basketball yeah you know so i had a lot of knowledge of like summer basketball all the different leagues in the country um and one you know just being who they were and i knew what basketball looked like and how much energy could bring how much camaraderie how to kind of organize an event and what they look like on a really large scale mm-hmm. um and i can remember telling um danny rum's uncle marcus who's the president of the rum foundation I felt like as I kind of grew and I had all these experience, the tournament would kind of grow with me Um, and always being able to like, you know, wherever we were around the country or the world, it was always like, hey, I've got this thing in Philly for a friend of mine. Love for you guys to be a part of it. And then that's how we're able to kind of the relationships, some of the sponsors, the things. And, you know, part of my nature is also understanding what customer service and sales is. Yeah. You know, and being able to kind of leverage that in everything, you know, because. You know, we feel really blessed of all the players that have ever come through and put a rump jersey on. And a lot of that is because of who Danny was as a person and a player and how many friends he had and how many people cared about him. Um, as well as, like, we try to treat those people like their family when they walk in, whether it's a, a current NBA superstar or somebody who has no idea who Danny is. Like, yes. So we try to share that love throughout the whole process. And that's why, you know, young men like yourself and, and Brian Mermelstein, like, have really kind of adapted to our culture mm-hmm. and helping us take it to the next level. For sure. I think there's a lot of people maybe outside of the inner core of that make the rump happen each year that know who you are but don't necessarily know you know your, where you come from and, and what you do exactly to make it all happen I'm curious uh from the from the time you spent in M1 from the time you spent in streetball entertainment from the time you spent making the ball bleak happening another you know tour of street ballers that AO was involved in too from those experiences what what do you feel like are the things that you really learned the most so a lot of layers to putting this kind of stuff together what do you feel like you learned from those times I think a lot of it is dealing with people okay being able to understand there's a lot of ways to look at communication. There's a lot of ways to, to get things achieved. And a lot of it is just being able to accomplish something, how to work with people from different backgrounds um, that have their own agendas or different things of what they're trying to accomplish in their day-to-day jobs and being able to just speak to people at different different levels, different layers. Like there's a lot of different tables that you got to sit at um, that can really range. So being able to kind of sit on there, have a direction of like where we want to go and then be able to bring people in that I think can really add value uh, to accomplish what we're trying to really accomplish here and what we've been able to accomplish. Like, there's so many people um, that make the Rump Classic special. And whether it's Miss Candy and her friends that are, you know, in charge of merch, in charge of the, the front door, Miss Janet and her crew in charge of registration, you know, Sharif helping the merch people out, you know, you guys doing the media, um, the people from the team and the desk, Justin and his team that are running the front desk, like, Brandon Huff and his crew run around. So there's so many layers of, like, how we touch Philadelphia basketball. Um, and there's a couple different more that we want to kind of get to where, like, this becomes a, a holistic approach to, you know, giving people opportunities, 
you know, keeping everybody together and that really sense of community. And, and that's what we're trying to do is like making sure that the essence of why we started this as a smaller group. And now that we're a bigger 80 plus volunteer group. Yeah. Still feels the same and people still get excited about being a part of it. Yeah. I want to get into the rump a little bit. Uh, Danny had passed in May of 2005, shortly after the foundation starts sort of the collective group of starting something more basketball centric. How did those conversations pop up? One of the things was from, from me, like, you know, I was really fortunate that I was a little bit older than everybody else. So I was asked to kind of represent the friend group on the board. Mm. Um, and from that, I was like, man, like, how can I add some value, do something that's a, that's, that I like to do. And that's kind of like organized. And, you know, I felt like, Hey, like, I think I can start a basketball tournament. Um, and part of that was being able to keep everybody together, but also touching on um, the different people involved from us at that age group. And I think we had four generations of Philly basketball represented. Like, That's you know, crazy. Danny's dad, Danny's uncles were all some of the best players in Philadelphia. Um, so even from their perspective of some of their friend group, like they had, a, they had a group represented that were really talented at that age group. Like, you know, they might have been – we might have been 20. They might have been – 35 to 40. I was going to say, were those guys like the first over 40 team? It might have been, but they were all coming off of pro careers. I mean, Michael Jordan from Penn played, in, and I thought it was the most amazing thing because Mike was a little bit older than us when we were growing up. You never, I never really got a chance to see Mike that much, but I played with his brothers. Um, so having Mike come back and play was like really special. Having Hakeem Moore come back and play every year was really special because Hakeem was just in the NBA, and it was just like a thing. Like, man, I can't believe – we've got an NBA player that's playing. And, you know, we all knew Hakeem, but being able to come out and see how everybody wanted to, you know, pay their respects to Danny and his family. And, you know, there's so many, there's so many roots inside of like who the Owens and the Rump family is in terms of basketball. And then a lot of us, like how we've all kind of just been around um, the basketball ecosystem and how that all kind of comes together. So there's, there's not one, like, you know, I, I get lucky to have a little bit more credit. Um, in certain avenues, but like it, it doesn't work if it's not everybody. Yeah. And it's not as much fun if it's not everybody. Of course. Uh, so this is going to be year 18. The Rumpf is about to graduate high school. <laughs> yeah. It's getting old. Uh, yep. But just to go back to that first year, I mean, the core and the feeling, a lot of it's the same, but it looks very different. Yep. 2005, it wasn't even a tournament back then. You, I think you had said it was more just a game and getting together. For no, it was, it was always a tournament. So we had, we had a community day that we did as well, but okay. it was always a the format has not changed at all. We just, okay. the games used to be more in one day than it was. It started as like a four day event okay. with like five games on Saturday it was the whole thing was crazy. Um, but it's kind of matured a little bit with how we layer things out. Some mm -hmm. of the other things that's around it. Um, part of it is like look and feel like what's the experience. So a lot of the stuff that I do as a, you know, a day to day is an experiential marketer. Like how do things feel? What are those different touch points? How does the gym look? Mm -hmm. You know, looking at some of the old things, we didn't know how to put a banner up there. It's just <laughs> like, we had one little banner, yeah. you know, and, and even later it's hard to do that stuff. And there's a lot of like thought process and there's also know how and then being able to kind of do it. So, you know, it's certainly come a long way, but you know, we, we'd be remiss to not remind us like the tragedy of when Danny Rome passed away. Um, we lost three gentlemen within a six month time frame. So Danny was the first one that passed away from a heart disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, one of the starting centers at Temple University also played with us. Michael Blackshear passed away. And then um, Tyree Wallace then got passed away right before Christmas time. So like there's a picture still of there, those three guys together. So when we started, it was also an ode to all of them where there was a team Wallace, a team Blackshear, That's and awesome. then a, a, you know, a team Danny Rump. Um, 
so like part of that was all of these different parts and these these community members that we were like man like we all want to kind of represent our friends um and that's kind of how it was always like and everybody was good basketball players like we yeah. had some of the best basketball players in philadelphia um that were even in the gym the night that danny passed away so like all these elements always led to competitive basketball so like my thought was let me worry about everything around it and then just make sure that the guys get a chance to be on the court and do and do what they do and and that's special that's why it's a very competitive charity event yeah did you have a sense back then even after the first year within those early years of what it could become both from a basketball standpoint from the cultural impact on philadelphia from a foundational standpoint like how the foundation has grown how the tournament has grown just did you have a sense of that back then yeah, I think we always like wanted to be in the conversation of like, how do we do something special? You yeah. know, Sunny Hill, you know, was a big part of all of our lives. You know, um, the program down at Drexel was was always like a thing that you'd look and see, and a lot of energy, a lot of great players would play. Sixteenth um, Street was always talked about of like, when you're down there, those look and feel and stories, and and I think like my my career path of being able to be a part of those moments around the country and see what energy looked like from a, a basketball entertainment side, knowing what summer basketball and streetball kind of the world's always merged um, and being able to know like, hey, like there's some really talented people out there that if you give them the right opportunity and create something special inside of those lines, it can be wildly entertaining. Yeah. And, you know, and some of our guys like Sharif Hanford, Sharif played in um, – one of our, uh, our our ball for real games that we played at the Wells Fargo Center and, you know, almost dunked on one of the guys. And I always thought, like, my guys were just <laughs> yeah. as good as those guys. They yeah. just didn't have as big as names. Social media really wasn't a thing. Uh, we had another another guy named Rochester. Rochester is still one of my favorite players. Um, so even at the time that we started this, we are still running around playing in all the leagues and playing at a high level. So um, I think it was always – I thought – I knew what I th I knew it, what it could be if we just kept putting the work in and, and remained consistent. Um, but you know, there's been some really magical moments that I can't say that I ever saw that coming. We just tried to remain who we were, but know that we wanted to grow the little elements that we thought we could keep striking something special. And I think just to keep his name alive always became like part of the thing. Like I remember being like, "Man, I hope we get to five years. I hope we get to ten years. Yeah, can we get to 15? Now we're like close to 20. Yeah, and you know, the, the really special thing that we're looking at now is like you know, kind of getting to that, that, that time period where, like, as long as Danny was on this earth, keeping his name alive and, and keeping it positive where everybody's able to have this really, you know, positive experiences where, you know, the, unfortunately in this city people are, you know, die all the time. Mm. And there's a lot of really great people that are trying to keep their friends' memories alive. And, and we're just another group of friends that are trying to do that um, and trying to remain, like, who we are and, you know, keeping ourselves together. Because, I mean, it's, it's beautiful to see – how much we all communicate outside of this. Like this is, this is, this it's is crazy, not, right? this is not just for a weekend. This is like, this exactly. is a lifestyle. So yeah. Did you have a moment? I mean, when Sharif Bray hit his game winner in 2011, mm -hmm. uh, Q Jones, who's the rec leader at Mallory, now the Rump Center, uh, he described it to me as like that moment was like something out of a movie when the place is jam packed, the half courts filling in. Did you have moments that or elsewhere of like, for yourself, for the friend group, for the the collective that puts it together to, to kind of be like tangibly validated that what you were doing was special beyond just keeping Danny's name, like that it was for the community aspect that it was really special? Yeah, I mean, fun fact, like I don't necessarily enjoy it until it's all, it's all done. <laughs> yeah. um, so that moment signified it was over, right? Yeah. That was a champion. Yeah. There were so many people there. Like I just remember taking a deep breath of being like, man, like 
I can't wait for everybody to know everybody gets home safe and everybody is out of here and, and being able to kind of reflect on it by myself. But yeah. in the moment, there's a couple of videos you can actually see my facial expression where it's, there's a smile on my face. But there's also like a sense of like, man, this is like, yeah. this is chaos. Yeah. Um, because if you look at some of the videos of it, it's like you can't fathom how you can fit that many people into a rec center. Crazy. Um, but I think those type of moments make it really special. I think when the, when the Morris twins first showed up and that whole process of being a part of their growth in the NBA and how they, how well they've treated us. And I think most space was probably the first one that I was like, this is a special moment. Cause I remember walking him into the rec center, ducking his head, going into the registration room, which is like the pottery room. Um, and then when he came out and walked through the doors and had to duck into the court, the gym had filled up and he was like, where do these people come from? Um, didn't know there's all these doors that kind of lead to the street. And, and then he walked into a gentleman named Wayne Marshall and Wayne still plays to this day. And, you know, to know that the first play Wayne scored, I think two or three times straight on him. And, and most Bates was, who's playing for the Sixers at the time was trying to figure out who, do, who Wayne Marshall was. Yeah. And Wayne Marshall. And that's when you kind of realize that it doesn't matter who you are in this environment. It's like, you got to come and, and, and get a part of this good Philadelphia basketball. Yeah. And people respect that. And it's not for everybody. But there's some people that really want that action. And, you know, Mo flew back in himself when he wasn't a part of Sixers years later. Like, so there's those type of moments and, like, Evan Turner showing up and playing. And um, Evan's first game, he didn't play well. Boo, they were booing. He was going, you know, typical Philly crowd. That's why you show up to these things. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he showed up the next two days, like, to come back after yeah. that. Like, those guys don't need to be there. And I yeah. think that's the thing that we always also try to remain is, like, come get this experience. Because there's also plenty of people in the crowd that make up the rump environment that this is not what it is without those guys. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Deontay Christmas, like his dad and his neighborhood and all his friends going against Sharif, Sharif and, and our neighborhood. We don't live far apart, but it was all in good fun, but it was very competitive. It was entertaining. There's a lot of trash talk, but those are the environments that really made this special. And we've been able to carry that, you know, along to bigger gyms, which is always like, we make everything the rump center. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. you beat me to it a little bit. I was going to ask you, uh, one of the first things that I both realized and learned quickly about the rump is, you mentioned it, that local guys getting a chance to, to show out against bigger names, NBA guys, and a lot of times playing well and not backing down. That's Philly hoops. The first one I'd ever seen was Shannon Givens locking up Jalen Brunson. I remember clearly, like you mentioned, guys getting booed. Like Jalen Brunson got booed hard. Comes back <laughs> the next year and played, like dropped 40. But Shannon Givens gave him the business, you know, that first year. I'm curious, maybe a couple other names that come to mind when you think of local guys who have stepped up against. I mean, I know another one is um, 50 against Jason Tatum. Like, yeah. there's some classic ones. I'm curious just what, who comes to mind. You know, I that. think, like, I mean, Sharif was probably the first one. Like, yeah. and if you didn't know who Sharif Bray was, like. The Red NBA, Bull run the racks, three-point record we're, we're Yeah, the world champion, <laughs> I like to call it. Um, but, like, high-level pros coming into that gym. Yeah. You couldn't beat Sharif Bray in, in the rump center. Like, yeah. it's just, just his gym. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember the twins told me one time they're like, it's crazy. Like Danny's up there and he's helping you guys out. Cause like, I, I don't know if actually they, if Sharif's ever lost to FOE, really? um, maybe, maybe once in the recent years, but I, I don't think there was a long time that they had never beaten in the Rome yeah. center. Um, and then it was, you know, 50 going against Tatum was a great moment. Uh, Rashawn Bellinger and Malik Alvin going against James Harden. You know, those are moments that the crowd wants to see as well. They want to see our guys play at a, at a high level. Um, DJ Rivera, another like super high level player, wasn't necessarily playing at a pro level, playing against a bunch of the, the guys that were playing overseas and just 
doing what he does. Like, it's mm-hmm. impossible to not let DJ Rivera get 20 points. Um, so I think, like, just having – there's been a, a millions of those moments where it may not be an NBA superstar versus a local guy, but it's a guy that's going to work every day that's playing at a high level versus a guy that does this as a job. And, you know, Shannon Given does it day in and day out. You know, I remember when John Wall walks in and him and Mo Watson just, like, go crazy. It's a buzzsaw. John Wall didn't know what was going on. He's just <laughs> running into picking rolls from the Givens brother the whole time and banging down threes. Um, so I think, like and, – and the Rum Center has probably three guys every year that don't uh, that don't have the biggest names but play at a super high level. Um, and I think the same goes when, like, Sammy Givens goes against Montrez yeah. Harrell. Like, yeah. you know, there's different layers to guys. and um, But I think that's the fun part is – I think it was even – people didn't know who Matt Walsh was one time. And Matt Walsh came and played against the Twins and played really well. And people didn't realize he's like an NBA draft pick. Like, okay. You know, so um, just the longevity of when you go in there and you see the Deontay Christmases of the world of who's a, a top temple kid. And there's other guys that don't blink an eye about playing at a really hard level and competitively against him. Um, and that's the same thing like Flip Murray showed up and one of the first times Flip played – you know, people were expecting a crazy performance and then got on him for not playing at the level they thought. But then Flip came back the next day and went crazy. And then probably one of the best games I've ever seen, hitting a crazy three to tie it and then a three to win it in overtime. Um, and then just like those are the moments that I think are, are the most fun. And what Rex Six did and Wally, yeah. you know, and even what they did last year being FOE in the beginning and, and then helping see those type of brands you know, elevate and then yeah. those guys build a community around participation in the rump. Like that that's the stuff that makes it special. You know my favorite part about that was two, three years ago was the game that uh it was FOE versus Rex Six and there was the close call on the putback at the end. Chuck Ellis. Yeah. Chuck Ellis oh versus, sorry, Chuck yeah, it, was Ellis team, versus it was Team Chuck Ellis versus Team versus Rex Six. My apologies. Uh close call on the putback. That was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're still arguing about that yep. uh, when we were at the house that Scoop built at L.A. Trade Tech in L.A. Like, they're still arguing about that. And that's the moment, Which too. is awesome. That, and that's what it's about. It's those type of conversations. Yeah. Like, let people have the conversation. And that's the fun thing about sports, basketball. Yeah. That you can carry that on. And there's always going to be debatable moments, right? Yeah. And I think even uh, in that perspective, like, a Scoop Jardine coming back and playing at such a high level. Yeah guiding a bunch of young kids and then seeing the quad a greens of the world um and the wallies of the world who's a division two player but puts like an amazing and amount of like love into the game of basketball and to see him have success and then but then seeing scoop being able to mentor those guys and you know even watching you know Vinny simpson yeah. you know play when Vinny it's like riding a bike every time Vinny steps on the court and it's a it's <laughs> yeah. a it's an easy 20 for Vinny. it's just a he's just an amazing player and then a lot of these guys don't get the credit they do on a global level or national level, but their neighborhood loves them. And everybody knows they're really talented, but this is just another platform to help show that. I don't know if you want to tell this story. Can you, uh, on the note of NBA guys coming back, coming to the gym, making appearances, can you tell the James Harden logo in the parking lot? Yeah. From I, your perspective, what you remember that story? So, so I don't know where it got ripped off at. It had to be on the floor, but you know, we had just, we had just signed a Nike deal. I don't know if that was our first year or Nike. We might've been a couple years in. Um, but at some point in time, I walked into the gym. Gym is a packed house, mm-hmm. and the logo is like bitten off. Like I don't know who <laughs> did it. There's a circular patch to it. I'm like, we couldn't yeah. find tape for that logo. Yeah. But he just ripped it off. I don't know how he did it, and then you know proceeded to play the whole game with this big hole in it. 
Uh, I believe I know who has the jersey. I'm still, still trying to get my hands oh, back on. Wow. There's a little bit of negotiation. To That's try a to, rump relic. If, it's a rump relic. I feel like we got we got to figure out a way to get that back home. But yeah. um, that was a, the first time that we looked at it and we're like, man, like I probably would have taped it up myself. Like I would, <laughs> somebody would, there had to be duct tape, but I don't yeah. know how he cut it out. I don't know if the trainer did it. Yeah, you know, I didn't ask too many questions to it. It was like he had just left and, and went to Adidas, and then. A lot. That was one of the first times we might have went super viral, mm-hmm. um, where people are like, "He rips the Nike logo off of it," and yeah. you know, to my to the Nike sponsor, man, we we apologize for that moment. <laughs> um, so I want to read you two quotes. Uh, the first you is uh, short. You often refer to the Daniel Rumpf Classic as a Philadelphia barbecue of basketball. Yep. In 2017, you described the Danny Rumpf Classic to Mike Jensen of the Philadelphia Inquirer as a Philadelphia basketball tournament where you walk around, it's all the people, the coaches you played for as a kid. You never know who's, uh, who's coaching, you never know who you're watching. It's all the people you may never see but have had some impact on your life, and this is a time you can come back and you can see somebody. Yep. What does all that mean to you? I mean, just the thought about it gets you a little bit emotional because it's like that's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's coming in. People know where they can find you. It's like the friends and family that you love and you care about and you know they mean a lot to you. You just don't see them all the time. So, you know, life get, life, life, get, life comes at you fast, right? You get jobs, you get kids, you move away. You're just not hanging out as much as you used to. People aren't going out. So this is a place where you come and can share that bond and those special moments and reflect on what basketball meant to you, what all those times in the gym practicing, traveling with AU, high school, the people you competed against. Like the friends that you know, it's all love when you see them, but you just don't see them a lot. And that's the fun part about like seeing like all the different pockets of people that get a chance to come up there and they get a chance to engage with us um, in whatever way. And it could just be that they, they are going to see their high school teammates, their college teammates, and the generations of people who, you know, now being in, this being our 18th year, the people that were not born yet, the, yeah. the, the one-year-olds, the five-year-olds that are now going into high school, they're playing, they're playing for some of the people in the gym. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, how the whole thing becomes a circular process, it means a lot of, you know, just providing that environment where it's like, hey, man, we know you guys can come up here and be entertained by the next generation or some guys that are still playing at a high level. Um, it's funny to see the guys now are like, ah, I may play for one or two more years. And I remember those guys 10 years ago being the young guys that yeah. we couldn't wait to play. Um, so I think all that stuff is it, it, it means a lot because you're creating memories for others. Not only the memories that I have that I get a chance to walk around and see all these people that I don't get to see all the time that made a big impact on my life. Um, and helped create me as a person, whether it's, you know, as a seventh, eighth grader in the Sunny Hill League or the first time I went up the Mallory Playground. Um, like, I still remember one of the first times me and Sharif, you know, being up there and we went down the street to play pickup at another gym because there was older kids playing at the, at the Rump Center, Mallory. Yeah. Um, so, like, these are the guys that are my best friends, and the game of basketball helped create that. And now we're doing something really special. And then, you know, but what's special is what's around it. Mm-hmm. Like those are the moments that like you have great moments. Everybody's got great moments. And that's the part that makes it special is people are creating their own great memories. So when we tell this story in longer in, in, in 20 years, it's about like, man, how did it make you feel? And I think that's the only way how we're able to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, you sort of alluded to it there about like the moving of generations or sort of a generational, the generational shift as you get. Uh, to 18 years, obviously there are guys that aren't playing that started playing that aren't playing now, and there's a younger generation that are coming up. 
from your perspective, I mean, how does that help keep Danny's legacy alive? How do you, how are you able to keep Danny's legacy alive with maybe a younger generation that isn't as closely tied to his story and obviously the friend group? I think a lot of that is, is, is keeping true to ourselves, keeping true to our own impact. Um, and we're engaged in basketball year round. Like, so it's not like we just show up and try to do this event. Sharif is with kids four days a week in the gym. Justin's coaching at a high level with a stepson that is one of the best players in this city. Those guys were doing the book for us when they were eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. Um, so those guys just being around the environment and understanding who we are and, you know, Sharif, you know, he's got one of the best young female basketball players in this country. Um, and then she's been around for so long and being able to say like, like these kids that we're training engaged with are always in the rump ecosystem because of like who their dads are and, and coming around. So we're just trying to always like engage with them in a real way. So they, I want to play in the rump one day and then making sure that they know the story of why we're out there and why we're doing it. And even with our heart screenings, like it's cool to see those kids that are in high school and college now that have come through and, you know, been able to be a part of our heart screenings. And, you know, that's why we want to keep building our next bright star process because we want to always be engaged with some of these young athletes where it's not out of the blue that they would come participate. And we want them to be like, this means something to me, whether that's Olin Chamberlain, who's going to be the next big point guard in Philadelphia, you know, Xavier Brown, freshman in, at St. Joe's University, one of the you know, first team all state, you know, even participating in the chosen league and winning that last year with a, an amazing group of young players. Um, and then this year having a female team, you know, being able to do a lot of that stuff where now we're engaged, where we want to make sure that kids know that we're also like really here and, and it's about the work. And, you know, I think Sharif Bray and Hanford are, are two of the best, you know, player development guys in Philly and they're in the gyms all day, every day. So it's not out of the ordinary that you don't just see it for one weekend. It's like we're around. Yeah, Mike, you've been so generous with your time. I appreciate you doing this. Um, just last question I think I want to ask everyone as we go through this podcast. You know, I'm excited for – we have a lot of great guests lined up. Uh, we've talked about a lot of awesome memories, a lot of great moments in 18 years. For you, is there a moment or a couple moments that stand out above the rest? Everyone says – you know, everyone's got their, their favorite Rumpf Classic story, favorite memory you were just saying. Like, yeah. what's yours? I don't know if I have one favorite one. I mean, the one that just jumps out just at the thought process. I remember uh, sitting in a board meeting and telling the board that, you know, we had Arcadia University. We were first, it was the we were years we were like, man, we're getting a lot of people, a lot of people may need to find a new gym. And then when, you know, we were able to use Arcadia for that first year and being, looking out the window and seeing the people that were just lined around, down the steps, around the corner and being like, man, like we really got something special. And I think we had like 18 NBA players playing in that, that year, and it was just chock full of talent. The energy level, no big brand partners, no sponsors. Like we were just trying to figure it out. We were young kids still figuring it out. Um, and I think like just looking out and seeing how many people wanted to come watch it, participate in it, um, and then seeing everybody else that had, you know, a hand in it and how many just people were involved in it. I think that was probably one of my favorite moments that, that it was like, man, like we've got something special here. And that was like, man, we've, we're building something that's really cool. Um, and then there's some other little some messages that I've gotten, like when James Harden was going to play, that message of like, hey, like he's playing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you short, like, is, is, this, is, this, a, is, this, a, is this a real message? Yeah. Um, and then I just, I mean, my biggest thing is like being able to look around at all of us in our own elements, having fun. And it's like when it, when it's not when we're not having fun with it anymore, that's gonna be the time to, to give it up, you know. But when we look around and, and the guys are still able to enjoy it, and we're all together, you know, it's all worth it. 
Mike Morak, the commish, my man. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.